Hi, so let's get started. This session will focus on the changing nature of B2B buying behavior. In this, in this era where buying journeys start way before a buyer speaks to sales, how can and why should marketing influence buyers' behavior before they're ready to buy? We'll reveal why it's, why it's important that B2B marketers reach out to market buyers now that buying behavior has changed, the mistakes and pitfalls many B2B marketers fall into by focusing only on marketers in market ready to buy, and how marketers can reach out to market buyers. And on top of that, try and offer some advice to companies who are trying to evolve their strategy. With me, I have Amrita, who's, uh, who joined as Superside's first marketer and as a VP of marketing to lead the marketing function. Superside is a crowdsourcing design and advertising company. Superside provides web and mobile design, digital ads, and marketing design services. Give us, give us a quick uh, summary of, of Superside and Jan, I suppose, your, your role. So yeah, Superside's a bit of a case study in positioning, so it could be fun to kind of dive into it. It's true what you said, we are a design services company, tech-enabled design services company, right? And, and I think our challenge is that we look like agencies. We also look like freelancer marketplaces, like the Fivers and the 99designs out there. And we could also just look like a tech company. In fact, our old positioning often made us sound like you know, we were this tech service and then somehow there was like tooling in the back end or AI in the back end that would spit out design that people would need. So it's like, and the, and the truth is that we actually straddle all of those spaces. We're in that Uber problem. And by, by what I mean by Uber, I mean the company. So when Uber first came out, they were called Uber Taxi and people literally saw them as a taxi service. Like, oh, okay, they still take me from point A to point B. Uh, the only difference is a guy uses his own car and it's not like a traditional taxi. And OK, there's this app that I can track my progress. Great. OK, no big deal. And no one saw what really Uber was trying to revolutionize. And there was like so much beneath the surface that people only found out as they experienced the service. Right. And then eventually Uber dra- dropped the taxi part in their name and they just became Uber and now they're a whole category on their own. No one in this day and age would be like, oh, Uber is the same as a taxi service. Like people are like, ah, there's some similarities, but no, they're two different categories, right? That's exactly what Superside is going through. We we straddle all these spaces, but we've really created this like fourth way to get design done. Today, most orgs, you know, we service mid-market enterprise mostly, like teams with a lot of volume velocity challenges around getting creative done for a number of different channels. And so for those teams, they really broadly have three ways to get design done. Your internal team, your, um, you know, agency or multiple agencies that you might have, or you have a whole host of like a network of freelancers that you've tried and tested over time and are willing to do the project management around or some combination thereof, right? That's it. Like our biggest customers, Amazon, Facebook, all these guys, they, they, they have like these combination approaches. Um, and I think... I think what we've come along and said is like, there's a better way to get design done in these specific scenarios. And those for us, those specific scenarios are, again, very broadly speaking, you just have crazy velocity and you need to tighten your test and learn loops. And um, the volume is so high that that combination of current systems and tools you're using just can't possibly work out unless you're willing to have massive overhead. And so we've come up with this like very efficient model. And 
truth be told, like we didn't know how to position that. Like literally we have customers today that still like I do win loss calls and I talk to customers all the time and they still call us an agency because we haven't done a good job of giving them an alternate term. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we haven't done a good job educating them even after they became a customer, educating them about how we contrast with the incumbent solutions that are out there today. So that's, that's like learning for us, but it's as a marketer, I'm also fascinated by um, like what people refer to as demand creation rather Mm -hmm. than demand, just like classic demand capture, which is like often the low hanging fruit this, this, this points to the original thing that you were trying to talk about is like, how do you, how do you build a market? How do you know who's your market? How do you attract these people? Mm-hmm. And I suppose actually in this instance, you could actually go around capturing a ton of demand that's all that that's existing there for agencies, uh, exactly, exactly as you mentioned. But then everyone will always assume you're an agency and they won't really ever see the true value of what you offer, which is something completely different. Um, so, yeah. And then that's the whole part, part of this, like demand creation part that we need to nail and educate so that people can be like no i know superside and they're completely different to an agency uh yeah xyz yeah yeah exactly so like the design subscription space uh is sort of what we've been pioneering and actually interestingly there's been a whole crop of pseudo competitors that have come up which actually validates that there's a need for something like this. Their models are quite different than ours, so we still have a huge amount of differentiation there. Plus, plus we've gone up market and we service slightly different markets than those competitors. But it's kind of interesting to watch that happen. Like in 2019, when we first started the company, like there was nothing that we were the only people in the space, and now there's like at least 10 or 12 that I can rattle off. So, so there's that's proof in the pudding that there is a problem with the current. Uh, models and that people are looking to solve that. They don't know what the solutions are, but they they feel the pains of it. And there are these companies now trying to try to solve that for different parts of the market. Yeah, awesome. So uh, actually jumping into our first question, even though I feel like we're already kind of <laughs> actually with that intro, which is is great. Um, but you had posted before about how um, good to be to be marketing is about keeping people in an ecosystem until they're sort of ready to buy. Um, and in that, why why should marketers spend time and budget towards these like people who aren't in market at the moment um, and are just sort of floating around not knowing uh, necessarily a solution aware, even knowing if they want something, if they, you know, maybe they even aware of a problem but not ready to buy themselves now for why should um, marketers spend time and budget towards towards those people? Um, and if you have any sort of like ideas about how you how you go about that or how you've done that yourself, it would it'd be really awesome to hear as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think I think I'll acknowledge that there's no should statement here. Every company is different. Um, the stage of your company is different. The space that you operate in is different. Your buyers operate differently. And it's important for you to get to know that really, really well. That's like usually step one. But I'll generally say that let's say you're a young company, maybe you're a startup, right? You have a hypothesis for who your market is and you want to prove that very quickly. You want to know that there's money coming in, that this is not a failed endeavor, et cetera. 
there I would say you almost default to this like demand capture mechanism. So you just like try to capture as many deals as possible. So an example of that, like you gave earlier is like, Hey, someone's looking for an agency, maybe through search, maybe SuperSide jumps on that and tries to capture them. And you use that as a learning opportunity to know, Oh, can we reel these people in? Can we position ourselves differently than an agency? And can we win those deals? Right? So that's the demand capture mentality. There's latent need. Someone's gone out there and done a search and you're jumping on that. It's it's very opportunistic. But I think as a company matures and as the space matures, particularly if you're like in a somewhat crowded space, no matter the size of the market or what you estimate the market to be, you kind of have to go out there and do like a lot more upfront edutainment, you know, education and entertainment to get um, to get people to at least at the very core, at the very base level, understand that there is something else out there. They may not want to understand the details of it because they're not there yet. They may have no curiosity just yet, but just in the back of their mind, you know, you're trying to put the brand in front of them. You're trying to put your company name in front of them. Maybe there's a term or a category name or something. You want to try to like float that in front of them and keep that top of mind so that when they feel that pain, whether they feel it or their peer feels it or someone on their team feels it, when that happens, they're like, oh, oh, there's more here. I need to investigate this. At the Even if they don't remember your name, right, or your .com, that's okay. But they, they should kind of have this like check in their mind to say, oh, no, I don't need to go down the standard route. Like this, I don't need to follow the status quo. I need, I need to go look at what, what else is out there. And that's where you can influence their buying criteria. And that's where you can actually influence and create a bit more of a compelling event for them. Um, an example of this, just like anecdotal story is someone joins our team from this company, Hotjar, uh, and he, I, I just asked him in the interview process, like, Hey, how'd you hear of SuperSide? Cause he had applied inbound for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, Oh, you know, I had this pain. He describes one of the common pains that our content marketing buyers have. And he says, I talked to my manager and he said, Oh, for this specifically, you should look at a design subscription company like SuperSide. So the manager knew that a typical incumbent solution like an agency wouldn't solve their problem. Something about the way that this guy described the pain helped the manager quickly say, ah, yeah, I don't think you need an agency. I think you need a design subscription solution. And that led this guy to superside.com and that's how they bought us, right? So that's exactly what demand, good demand creation is. I use that term loosely because it means so many things, but we did it in that instance, at least we did a good job, good enough job convincing somebody that you don't have to follow the status quo. And that's all you need sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually really interesting that you said they don't actually have to remember your .com. So like, and that can actually be like the split between what brand is and whether you know, that there's this over, there's a huge overlap between demand creation and brand marketing in general, but there's also this like differentiation, isn't there? Like, Actually, the demand creation bit is like just being like aware that even a solution like that exists, that it's different. Like even, you know, even if your competitors, the ones who've actually created the demand from that sort of like, you, I mean, you can capitalize that. On, capitalize on yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like the same uh, happens for us in um, like a Cognizant, right? Like previously, no one really knew that, like, I mean, this is like maybe 10 years ago now that everyone was buying lists of data and then all of a sudden like you've got big competitors like zoom info coming up and they actually create 
this idea that now that everyone you know people are fully aware that you can have like a, a managed service for it and and access all that data yourself in a, in a platform um and then that that's 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 that exact sort of process and then we didn't you know we could like leverage some of that demand that was already created um yeah. and then the brand marketing side is that that different bit right where people can you know can then come back and like think of that problem and then think ah oh, I don't know, suicide or cognizant, uh, but they kind of work together at the same time. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's I, I'd say like it's all like compounding efforts, right? Like you're not going to do that overnight. You're not going to figure it out overnight. But over the course of a few years, if you do it the right way and you can create the narratives of where the differentiation lies, that can really help you. I think that's key. It's so crazy to me. Like I've been interviewing like crazy for a few key roles on our team. And, you know, we've talked to people from big brands like Spotify, and we've talked to people from like itty bitty startups and like the whole gamut in between. And it's nuts that not enough people, not enough marketers think about differentiation. Mm. And maybe it's the word that is kind of like, maybe it's like a low key thing that you don't think so much about it, or you think in terms of features or something. I don't know what it is, but you can differentiate yourself from the entire wolf pack uh with like a couple of like simple keystrokes and um yeah i just want to i wanted to shout that out that's i think that's like a key lever for creating this demand piece yeah yeah um so also in another place you talked about um and i think this is interesting to other bits you've you, you you've spoken about as well um sort of like this idea about going after the the short-term conversion or the long-term conversion, which kind of like fits into, um, you know, are you, I imagine in my head, like a short-term conversion is, are you pinching your competitors' traffic via Google ads or are you educating the, the market long-term um, to get that long-term conversion, um, as you name it, like, so someone who's maybe learned about you sort of like slowly over time. Um, yeah, so I'd be interested to know like what you think will happen to companies that maybe focus too much on those short-term conversions, they're like quick wins, um, to those people uh, companies that are investing in the the long-term conversions um, themselves, and like what the benefit yeah. and the balance between the two is. Oh man, and like oh, big big question. I mean, also a very touchy subject, right? Because. Uh, it's easy to measure the short-term conversion and pat yourself on the back. But I think it kind of, I think if you put a ton of your effort into that, uh, particularly if you're not a startup, like you're well into your journey, you know, whatever stage you're in, but if you're well into your journey and let's say hypothetically you react to market forces or news of a recession coming or what have you, and you switch everything to this like capturing, you know, immediate conversion, I think that trade-off is going to bite you in the ass later. Like, sorry, pardon my French, but it is. It is absolutely going to bite you in the ass later because you're by virtue of that, you are shrinking your market. If you're just like a visual, if your TAM is like gigantic and it's all a hypothetical anyway, right? Let's say your TAM is gigantic and let's say there's 100 people in there. By only focusing on those that are like ready to buy or like immediately know what it is that they, they're experiencing in terms of pain or the vitamin that you can give them, that might be like five people. What about the 95 people that are out there? Uh, so you kind of can't stop that particular, you know, flywheel. You kind of have to keep going so that, you know, you keep pulling three more people here, four more people here, five more people here. 
if you just focus on the short-term conversion, then you're, you're kind of like leaving the fate in someone else's hands entirely. Um, even if, even if your TAM is massive. So I think it's like this, like weird trade-off that happens between the two and often the pendulum I notice in companies and companies I've worked for, right. Pendulum will swing. It's like, oh my God, recession or whatever, whatever the market forces are, a uh, new CEO might come in, you know, all sorts of reasons, um, pendulum might swing, but I think like you kind of need to keep them in balance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's imperative. Otherwise you're not doing marketing. That's not marketing. That's literally like. Kind, like the closest thing you can be to the sales, uh, like the sales component, the, the fact that you're like capitalizing on someone that's already interested is not really marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what, that's like the first thing I would say. The second thing I'd say is it's likely um, that long-term conversion could be better quality revenue for your business. <coughs> I think that is easy enough to test you know, you could like, we're in B2B, right? So it's not like we have someone checking out the cart every second. Like we only have X number of deals, right? We, we win about 40, 50 deals a month, et cetera. It's like maybe a hundred, 150 opportunities created. So we can literally go through op by op and be like, Oh, how did this come in? Uh, was this, was this person like a very, you know, quick little single session. Sometimes people like come in inbound, book a demo with us and off they go. Uh, or did, was this like a slow burn? And usually, at least for us, we've been finding that um, when people come in, that there's like an almost like an entire buying committee. And there was somebody that said, oh, we should look at Superside. And, and, and they've been educated for a long time. That usually re- results in better quality revenue. And by quality, I mean the retention curve is a lot better. And if you're, if you're in B2B like us, like that's very easy to do. You can literally look at all your opportunities, every deal that you close and kind of try to plot them in one of those two buckets or on a graph of some kind, and then see what the retention curves are. And you can prove that in like two, three months of data. Right. So like, could you, could, could you see as well, like even if, uh, the actual point of conversion was like, um, something like, as, as you said, like a short-term conversion, so someone who maybe Googled for a competitor, found you and, and actually like, and like, yeah, came through, got, thought I'll check out these guys at the same time. But then in their buying committee, there's someone who has actually been part of this long-term conversion play, this demand creation play. And then that in itself, even if it wasn't the actual person who were like came in through that in itself, like helps. Exactly. That's the deal of attention. The influence factor cannot be minimized. It's uh, sort of the equivalent of consumer goods companies have figured this out, right? Like um, sometimes I feel like eating tortilla chips. You know, when I was pregnant, I had like this like craving for this weird snack all the time. Like I wanted something fried and crunchy, like the texture really mattered, right? And I'm not a snacker at all. And I don't like chips. Like I grew up in India and chips was not a thing there. It was a very North American thing, but I literally had this like craving. So in my head, I'm imagining tortilla chips, right? That's what I'm imagining. And so when I went out to the, to the grocery store, I ended up buying Doritos. I don't really like Doritos, but I ended up buying Doritos. I'm just using this as a silly analogy, but I ended up buying Doritos because they're always in front of me, however they've done it, whether it's the placement in the aisles, whether it's advertising, whether it's like the the voice of the guy who's in the ad. I literally remember like what his voice sounds like. It's really funny. 
Um, and I ended up buying Doritos. It was like a split second decision. That's what I spent like my five bucks on. Right. So it wasn't another brand that might be healthier, maybe less sodium for a pregnant woman or whatever, but I ended up buying Doritos. I think, I think that's, that's, I'm trying to connect like multiple thoughts here, but it's sort of like right place, right time. They created, um, the, obviously the, the environment had to be appropriate. I was looking to solve my pain of finding a crunchy snack. <laughs> and uh, because I knew the brand and I trusted the brand and maybe I saw them as funny, uh, I ended up buying them in, in my split second decision. So it's, um, I'd say like, coming back to your original question, like I'd say like, it's kind of like the back of my mind the influencer in this whole situation was knowing that if I bought this giant pack of Doritos, it wouldn't just be me that would enjoy it, but my husband would also enjoy it because he's a snacker and he likes Doritos, you know? So he's the influencer in this situation. He like endorsed it without saying the words. Um, so in the B2B buying cycle, it's somewhat similar. If you have someone on the team, maybe it's not their specific pain that is being solved, right? But you have someone in the team who's like, I, I get it oh, I know this company, or maybe they don't even know the company, but they're like, okay, this looks legit. Um, I could see that having huge impact and it's extremely difficult to track unless you like know what questions to ask or the sales rep is asking, or maybe like some kind of survey happens in the win-loss or what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, can't underestimate the impact of that. Like really thinking about the full buying committee, even if it's not a formalized buying committee. Mm -hmm. so, I actually have, uh, sorry to inter interject, but mm -hmm. I, I actually have another great example of this is um we at superside we bought this abm tool that is multi-purpose it, it has really great intent data so it's called six cents and they weren't on our initial list of vendors that we were talking with and we ended up buying them and spending way more than our budget our budget was like thirty thousand or something i think we spent way more than that with six cents because they Per, like did such a masterful job of influencing our buying criteria. And I was the influencer in that situation because I'd seen them at a conference almost a decade ago and was impressed by them. And I literally remember thinking, what a funny company name, Sixth Sense. And, but I was very, very impressed. And since then, and I don't know why they weren't in our evaluation sheet. You know, we didn't know them. We didn't think of them. When they finally came onto the table, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I've heard of Sixth Sense. I, I know them. And then we just kept getting impressed over time, right? So it again, it just goes to show like they won this massive deal, weren't even on the list because of some decision that they made perhaps 10 years ago. Not saying that was the only reason they had a good product, but, uh, and a great sales rep who, you know, influenced our evaluation rubric. But yeah, I was the influencer in that situation. Um, I think this leads on to the next question. Um, really like, like wow in the sense that you've talked about this before as well how like the the marketing the digital marketing funnel isn't fit for purpose for really like what we're for like for everything that we try and ham fist it into basically uh it's like it's very um simple in in its nature and doesn't really like describe the whole process and i know from myself that you know sometimes i can identify a need uh, and then I'll find, I'll identify a need, see two ads and I'll submit a demo. Uh, and that, and I, I hadn't heard of the company before. And that was my, my process. Other times I've maybe interacted with hundreds of pieces of content before I eventually submit a demo. And then I'm like, and I've, I've always liked, I've always really wanted it, but, um, there's been a number of factors why, like 
I, I never did it. Um, and other times I might go hot and cold and come back and then <laughs> before I know it, I'm a customer um, and I thought I never would be. Um, and in this, uh, this whole idea then that it's not really, the funnel is not linear. It's kind of all over the place. You, anyone can enter at any point, leave and start again. Um, what sort of like facets do you think? Like, I, I think we've got here, like the idea of three. I mean, it's hard to, <laughs> if you can't think of three, it's fine. But what sort of like three things do you think people should understand about the buyer today um, and how that should affect how they sort of, market to them knowing that like they it, you know it's not this awareness consideration just push them through a funnel mm-hmm. i mean the funnel isn't like horrible right like it's a good way to keep it's almost like an internal tool to keep your entire team thinking about the right things like you know whether it's a social media play or whether it's like you're creating content or whatever your offers and campaigns are it's a good way to keep aligned and talking about hey, what is this actually meant to do? Which stage of the buyer journey are we trying to tackle here, right? So the funnel is helpful from that perspective as like almost like a bit of a planning tool, but I wouldn't say it's a strategic tool and it's not necessarily a great reporting tool either. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say like the first thing is knowing that you can't quote unquote push someone down the funnel. That's just a fallacy. There's no such thing. Um, it's really about showing up and putting your company and your positioning in front of people over and over and influence and creating demand in that way. Um, I'd say it's very important to think about all of the flywheels and the full ecosystem, like how these individual flywheels like connect with each other. I think, I, I think that sometimes it's hard to see it with the level of clarity Uh, especially if you're in building mode, like we were a startup for so long that we were building all these little things, right? And it's it's kind of hard to see the bigger picture of how they all connect. But now that we're in a good place, it's like, okay, every flywheel, every machine that's been built, it needs to be part of this like larger ecosystem. And we spend a lot of time and energy trying to connect them, which is actually better again for the buyer um, and just better for the brand, getting the brand out there. Um, And I'd say the third thing, Maybe the third thing that people can think about is like, it shouldn't, thinking thinking or not thinking about the funnel shouldn't necessarily preclude us from thinking about maybe the quote unquote fluffier brand metrics, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I'm not a super fan of doing this myself but i can see this helping a lot of companies where if you had you know metrics around hey what was the um, recall you know like there's ways to measure recall some can someone recall what your brand name is and sentiment and uh, what do you stand for Uh, even if they can't describe what you do but can they can they tell you tell tell you what you stand for i think there's ways to measure that so i think that could be an interesting metric of course, there's always like share of voice or share of conversations. I think those are things that eventually as your more mature team, uh, more mature machine, you can start measuring just to see if you're actually doing the right things in thinking about this full funnel that's basically like a big loop. Uh, the funnel is not really a funnel. Like really, it's like a circle in some ways. It's not really a downwards funnel. So maybe that's helpful. Yeah, awesome. And it actually kind of leads on to what I was thinking about like, going into next which is like I suppose in terms of reaching out of market 
are like buyers and and like catching people so that we can influence this um like buying like decision however whichever way it comes um what sort of tactics would you um yeah like would you recommend to do that like or, or how how do you sort of run those sort of marketing efforts at superside at the moment and then obviously you touch then just on like reporting and metrics but it'd be really cool to i think a lot of people think yeah okay i put a lot of stuff out on gated i uh, i run a podcast and stuff but how do i track any of this how can i really say that i'm influencing anyone or yeah or like yeah. having at all no it's tough it's tough i get it uh I, again, think that, listen, the, the CPG companies and the Nikes of the world have figured this out, right? They're like these like big marketing machines. And I think they know that they can't track every little thing. But most, if you just bucket your strategy into two things, like I always, these are, again, very rudimentary terms. So caveat, you know, there's probably better terminology for this, but so I'll just caveat that. But I always think of all of our efforts and tactics as like on-site and off-site on-site, like what's, what's happening on your website and like your owned properties and what's happening off-site. So perhaps on a rented channel like TikTok or what have you, right? Like I, I consider them like they're not on your, on their traffic is not on your website. Um, and the way that the conversion would happen and the way that the influence would happen um, would be very different. So if just thinking broadly about those two things, if you are doing off-site stuff well, there are certain metrics that you could look at. The simplest one that comes to mind is engagement. Uh, are people looking at your hopefully mostly zero click content? Like you're not sending them to like a goddamn blog post or something, right? Like, are they engaging with that? Is there resonance there? Are people commenting? Are there great questions? So is there engagement happening in a nutshell? Let's say it's on LinkedIn. Let's say it's on TikTok. So that's that's one. But then over time, that should build into direct and branded traffic. So over time, again, if you're doing a great job, and I'll say this for Superside, we, we were able to grow our organic traffic uh, quite wildly in 2022. And a big chunk of that was actually like people actually searching our name brand. Like people are searching Superside, right? Or they're typing in superside.com. So that's the direct traffic. How they got there, I don't know. GA's look back window is only 30 days now. So you have no idea, even if they were, you know, cookied or what have you, that that data is lost. But what I can tell you is the word of mouth machine or the brand machine is working. Mm -hmm. So, and I would contribute, I, I would attribute a lot of our offsite activities and being able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that those, those are like two little, little tricks there. I'd say the third, the third thing is like when you think about, um, on site, every every company wants to provide a great buying experience to their customer. Of course, they want to do that, but I'd say very few of us think about every possible entry point that someone might have and curate that experience. Like I don't think we do that particularly well at Superside. It's going to be a huge project for us going into this year, mm -hmm. and. Um, the impact of that is not lost on me. So that's another area to investigate is like, let's say somebody's finding you, let's say people are finding you in droves through one blog post that's really not set up to convert. Okay, great. Use that. How do you create that amazing experience? Where, how do you lead the horse to water? Where do you, what do you want them to read next or consume next that would get them one step closer and really thinking about that. Mm -hmm. and, and what sort of things, um, just out of interest actually, like what sort of things have you, 
uh, tried. I'd, I'd love to know what how like you got to the point of like your your huge uptick in organic traffic um, direct um, direct to you. And what's okay. also on that? I suppose what's next on the like agenda? What what I suppose what other have you seen that maybe other companies do that you're like uh, I really want to try that. This is in the plan. Like um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, so we've tried a whole bunch of stuff and some of it's failed, right? And there's like different levels of experimentation. But last year we said to ourselves, okay, we're going to go all in on some of this offsite stuff. And so we prioritized YouTube and TikTok as a channel to exploit. We had nothing. We had nothing, like zero. Um, fast forward to today, we did decent on YouTube. We have 3K subscribers now there. And, you know, our videos actually get watched through search a lot, which is helpful. And we've actually embedded those videos onto our blog post, which actually gives the blog post search lift because they're being watched. So it's like one big, amazing flywheel, right? So that's that's worked out beautifully. It's not like they're being watched in like the thousands or the millions. Nothing's gone viral in that way, but we've still seen the impact of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so YouTube worked out. TikTok did not work out. Um, we know that to like really nail TikTok, you need high velocity content, lots of it. You got to test a lot more. So we weren't quite set up to do that. But that was an investment. And we also kind of uh, prioritized in the second half of the year on going on to other people's podcasts like this one. You know, mm-hmm. historically, we would either not get asked or get asked and just say no because of, you know, time strapped or what have you. But we've been kind of on this like podcast tour, like our CEO and I, and that's probably helped with some organic traffic. I know of at least one deal that we have won in this way because someone told us in the sales notes, they were like, I heard him read on Dave Gerhard's podcast and I love Super Science Concept. And now they're like close run deal, right? And that that whole journey took like 20 days. Like I looked at how he came in, what he did, how we signed the deal, 20 days. Like that was amazing. So um, yeah, I'd say those are the three tactics that we prioritized two of which were successful and one which was not. And then going forward, we have paused on TikTok for the moment. We're going to pick it up in the second half of the year once we're like better staffed for it mm-hmm. um, and going to be on the super side plan ourselves to help uh, figure that out. We have like this amazing social video offering. So that that team is now in place. And this, and I said, like I said, like earlier, um, we're really prioritizing the buying experience. We want to make sure anyone that's coming to the site, all the entry points are covered. It's almost like uh, if we think about a fortress and it's like, you know, how would, how would someone get in? There's a front gate, right? Someone comes to your homepage uh, or there's like other gates, right? Someone came in through a window, some, someone uh, parachuted down from the sky. And it's like, all of those people need a good experience and we want to lead all of those people to like the next thing and the next thing then the next thing that brings them closer to our solution so really like prioritizing and doubling down on that awesome and when you start something new like when you were looking at youtube or tiktok how did you uh how did you go about getting buy-in like uh from uh zach it's like uh, how did you how did you sell that because i imagine some people in the business are then like tiktok like is that for us like yeah Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I was that person. I was like, really, TikTok? Are we really going to do that? Uh, no, the team was keen to try it. Um, we have a risk appetite in general, like our, our team and our and our CEO has a pretty high risk appetite. And we always leave about 20 to 30% of our budget for an effort really for things that are like purely experimental. So this kind of fell into that bucket, just like, Hey, it might work. It might not work. Uh, The core machines are built. So that's going to keep bringing money in, Mm -hmm. but 
here's here's our 30 percent one third experiment if it goes to shit no problem if it works out hey hooray we just created a market right so we could create all new stuff kind of like that and we expect half of them will fail maybe more yeah yeah that i think that's the key isn't it you've just got you have to allow yourself this flexibility with like an experimentation budget or like and 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 time like even if it's not money like if you're doing organic stuff you have to allow that to Otherwise, you're never going to see it grow. Um, start somewhere small and, and sort of kick it off. But yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so finally, one last question. Uh, so we always like to end on this. Um, what's one thing that you would tell a marketer now to start, stop, uh, and then continue? So based on the current landscape, how you see it, what would you say? Like, stop right now, start doing this, but continue doing this. A marketer not on my team. And not not in, team, in general, philosophically, a marketer out there. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. I mean, hmm. any kind of marketer, because there's so many of us, there's so many different oh, types of people. In B2B, let's say. And then, yeah, you're, um, and like you're advising, like, based on the landscape as you see it, what, what, some, something that's, you know, dead, it's beginning or, and is still going. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to make this actionable, but, you know, just bear with me. Uh, I take it back to something I originally said in this podcast, which is like really hone in on your differentiation and don't give up on it. I think that's key for any any type of marketer, any level of marketer. I think there's so much noise out there. Like really, when you think about competition, you're kind of competing with everybody, right? It's not just your literal competitors. You're competing with everybody for attention and you're, you know, like you guys sell to marketing and we sell to marketing. And I bet we have the same buyer personas. Like there's probably a lot of overlap. So in some ways, Superset and Cognizant are competing with each other for that attention, for that share of wallet, so on and so forth. So really like hone in on the differentiation and really try to create like a sense of urgency of why this and why now that that never goes away. That's like a fundamental of marketing that you have to nail no matter what the market is like. And I'd say the second related thing is stop or resist, I should say, not stop, but resist being over-optimized or over-indexed on um, the short-term conversion stuff. You know, it's it's nice to have money in the bank and yeah, maybe it'll give you a couple more months runway. And sometimes you want to put your eggs in that basket because you literally just need a couple more months, but it's, it's not going to make a market for you. And you need to think about revenue building like a bit more like medium to long term. And so resist the urge to kind of go all in on the short term stuff. Um, so try to find that balance for yourself, try to use your budget, your time, your resources in the right way. So that's the stop. Um, and I would say, yeah, just in terms of like continuing, like I'm a, I'm a big believer of just like constantly experimenting and and just assuming that not everything is going to work out but that that should not deflate you you know you just go get back up and try again like okay we didn't nail tiktok great we're gonna we're gonna try again in the second half of this year we're not gonna do it right now because we have all these other priorities we're gonna try again and we know like through our you know very intense retrospective we know exactly what needs to be corrected in order to try again don't just like stand up and be like i'm going to do the same thing again that's stupid but just be like okay here are the new pieces or ingredients i need these are the these are the pieces on the chessboard that i need to move around in order for this to have a higher um success rate 
or any success at all. So just, yeah, get back up, try again, but don't be silly. Don't like think about what you need to change. Amazing. I love those. So I'm going to recap those for everyone. So focus on product and differentiation in the market, which I think is like, yeah, key. And then also, as I like to say, ditch the conversion mindset and like think about going, you know, long-term, not just focusing on those short-term, as you say. And then uh, finally, um, test, 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 which I just could agree more with. I really love the point actually in that as well, that um, you test something, it doesn't quite work like TikTok, but it doesn't mean that it's just in the bin, ruled out forever. You come back to it and you redo it again and you maybe look at what you, you missed the first time, so. Yeah, and sometimes you just like as, as simple as putting a different mind on it, right? It could be like a different person could have better success with it. Sometimes it's other ingredients. Sometimes it's the creative. Sometimes it's the copies. And you, you, just, you just have to kind of know what to test next. Um, but yeah, like that... I, I, I'm a huge experimenter, but I also feel like let's not redo something unless like there's like learning that's already happened. If there's no learning or insights, it's going to fail again. Like guarantee you it's going to fail again. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, um, thanks so much for joining us, Amrita, and sharing your wisdom. Um, I hope everyone has have some better ideas now about how to go about and create demand and uh, track it and, and different ideas on that. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.